0: listening to the prime podcast a show dedicated to exploring and investigating all things health fitness and performance related when something is in its prime it's at its best this includes us as humans are you ready to take on the world and join us on this journey to live life in your prime and welcome back ladies and gentlemen to another episode of the Prime Podcast. This is episode 22, and I'm just hanging out. Just Tori and I today, Sam is coaching the 3.30 p.m. class, at least very shortly, from us starting this podcast. So just Tori and I, and we are going to tackle some issues that, I wouldn't say issues, but questions that have come up from previous podcasts from some of our members that have listened to the previous podcast, as well as some other things that I've stumbled upon or have been learning myself along the way. Uh, I recently, well, before I dive in a little bit. Hey, Tori. Hi. She, she's here too. She's a little bit more awake today and a little bit more vibrant than she was the last two podcasts. As you can tell by her high, it's already a higher pitch and she has much more energy than.
1: I think I found it out. I think I sing so loud in the car by myself that it's making my voice get deeper and deeper and raspier. I think that's what it really is. So, so
0: what's your favorite <laughs> song to sing in the car?
1: Currently? Yes. Uh, your, your four-year-old daughter has me listening to Smooth Criminal, like consistently. Little Michael Jackson. Well, Michael Jackson. And then Fleetwood Mac, of course.
0: And so just a uh, my four-year-old daughter also, her favorite song right now is Astronauts in the Ocean. Oh. And she requests it by name. And she's like, Daddy, play Astronauts <laughs> in the Ocean. They're, I'm like, you got it. They're
1: well-educated children.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, they're they don't play games when it comes to music. Mm-mm. Yeah. Like Jackson 5. Yeah. In sync. Yeah. in sync. And then <laughs> she will be like, "Play Michael Jackson's sister." By that, I mean she means Janet Jackson. <laughs> oh but, my God! Yes, we are all in the Jacksons. We are all into 90s. We were playing uh, Spice Girls in the car the other day.
1: Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, she right. knows that like every word too. Yeah, she's crazy. She can sing Abigail's it. Abigail's crazy. All
0: right. To start, where we want to go is we want to kind of re rewind a little bit and talk about a few of the things that have come up in the previous podcast. One thing that has, you know, someone had asked about, you know, we, we were talking with Sam and talking about meals and talking about different things. One thing that came up was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't really eat uh, the same thing for every meal. And yes, I would agree with you because if you eat the same thing for every meal, you're missing some, you know, micronutrients and phytonutrients that are in different types of foods. So when we talk about macronutrients, those are like carbs, fats, and proteins, but inside of different foods are also called phytonutrients or phytochemicals and and micronutrients and different things that each food has uniquely to their own. So when we eat only one food, we are missing out on other things and we may be missing something out that might be beneficial to our body. So while I most of the time eat the same breakfast meal, type meal. It's some sort of egg mixture with different things. I do throw some different things in there, but that's probably four to five times a week on the weekends. I do something different. My evenings are pretty different. And then I mix up different fruits throughout the week. If mangoes are there, I love mangoes. If grapes are on sale or strawberries, blueberries, if all those things, you know, like whatever's kind of on sale is what I'm eating. So I try to mix it up as much as I can. Personally, I know Sam had talked about, you know, she's not here to defend herself right now, but she had (laughs) talked about eating the same thing kind of over and over again. Now what I rec- always recommend when we've done nutrition challenges in the past is to have five go-to meals. So it's five. Why 5? Because it's a it's an easy amount of food that gives you variety and it's easy amount of food where you can remember the quote-unquote recipes and the ingredients that go to those five. And if you have five go-to meals that you always can cook really quickly, it makes it really easy and then you can throw in one new one per week to give it some spice and to have some variety and some different things. But those five go-to meals or go-to recipes make it really, really, really simple to grocery shop. You don't have to make a list. You don't have to check it twice. You don't see, have to see who's <laughs> naughty and nice. You just go and do your thing and I can go to the grocery store right now and get everything I would need for the week without even thinking about it. And then it becomes so habitual that you don't spend an hour and a half in the grocery store looking at things. You're like, Oh, what do I feel like today? Or what do I feel like, what am I going to feel like tomorrow for dinner, right? We talk, I think I put a post out before that we don't want to let our feelings dictate how we behave in certain situations, and food is a big feeling thing. So we definitely don't want feelings to come into play when we're talking about which food we're going to eat.
1: What recommendations do you have for people who are so afraid when they are starting to eat healthier diet or whatever, and they're afraid of going out to eat? They're afraid of having to look at a menu that's something that's not their, like, quote-unquote, like, rice and chicken and vegetable at home.
0: Yeah, I mean, everything, every every, every grocery store, every restaurant has a pretty basic healthy option. Now, depending on what you want to do, you can go out and try the healthier option, or you can go out and enjoy yourself, right? Nobody, as long as you're you're being consistent, like, 80% of the time, there's always the 80-20 rule if you're being consistent with your diet 80% of the time, then you're going to see success. The problem is, is that people, they try to eat healthy 20% of the time and they forget about the other 80%. I think we were just talking about this. I think I was talking about it with somebody this morning. It might've been Kaylee. Is that, or was it Kaylee? It was somebody else, maybe. I don't know. But we were talking this morning about how holidays turn into these extended time periods. Maybe it was Ryan. I think it was Ryan actually. So like Easter Sunday turns into a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So then instead of just having like a poor, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, like poor eating choices on one day, we end up having poor eating choices for five days. Right. And then those five days, if you, if you pay attention to some of the stuff that we put out from James Clear, Mm -hmm. never miss twice. Mm -hmm. So missing once on a holiday or missing once going out to dinner with your friends or missing once in these certain situations is okay. As long as you get back on track tomorrow. So, but if you miss... Saturday, because you went out for your friends before Easter, and then you splurge on Easter, and then you have all these leftover desserts and sweets, and then you you eat again, all that stuff on Monday, and then we have some residuals left over on Tuesday, and you're still eating those same quote-unquote unhealthy food choices, then it's going to turn into the habit in the opposite direction, because then you start craving those sugars, and you start all those good things that you might have done before, or those healthier habits you've done before, have been negated, because now you're going, you've missed more than once, you've missed twice, you've missed three times, you've missed four times, and then it starts starting into the habit in the other direction.
1: Makes sense. I feel like Christmas is probably the worst with that. Well,
0: because you have Christmas and yeah. New Year's are so close.
1: For sure. I have a question for you, being that you're a parent. Yeah. I know a lot of parents listen. I saw something the other day and I see it frequently now. I mean, this wasn't a thing when I was a kid. People give their kids dessert every single night.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you do that? Like. No. And I feel like obviously the parents' eating patterns dictate the child's. For sure. But I thought that was like ludicrous. That like a full dessert. Like here's a bowl of ice cream, like every night, or I'm making brownies or I'm making cupcakes. I was just like,
0: why? Yeah, we don't have that stuff in our house anyway. Um, we do have a treat bucket, so like a dessert for them might be like a tootsie roll. Like yeah. Once, like a little mini tootsie roll, and they have a treat bucket that they can pick out of sometimes, but they have to earn it. Yeah. Um, but we don't do we don't do desserts in my house on a regular basis, but my, now this isn't a, a child thing, but it could be, I guess, cause it's my, my wife's in parents, my in-laws, mm-hmm. uh, they have dessert at every meal we ever go to. Yeah. And there's always dessert. Like there's always some sort of cookie, some sort of something after dinner. And I don't, I don't, I don't always participate in the dessert part of it, mm-hmm. but growing up in a household that always has some sort of sweet treat after every meal, people start to crave that. And you mm-hmm. think that you're, and I think I listened to a podcast a while ago and Ben Bergeron, who's I referenced him in the last podcast. He was talking about coming back from vacation. And when you come, you know, on vacation, you know, I'm going to New York city tomorrow and I'll be there for four days. I'm probably going to eat healthy most of the time because I know the re- the restaurants I'm going out for sushi, which mm-hmm. is generally healthy. We'll be going out to a, like a diner that we really liked, but it's just diner breakfast food, nothing yeah. out of the ordinary. And then we'll, we'll obviously splurge a little bit here and there, but we're probably going to get some bagels that are old bagel stomping grounds, some things that I probably don't eat on a regular basis. And I'll come home and then I'll eat my regular things that I would eat at home. But as soon as I finish my meal, I'm going to be hungry. Think I'm hungry, Yeah. Right? but you're not hungry. So if you eat a lot of sugary stuff, like when you do over the holidays, and say you're eating a lot of sweet treats and you're eating a lot of desserts after your meal, you crave something after your meal. So I'm eating all my healthy foods. And I ate so much. I feel so good. But there's just five minutes later, I'm like hungry. And I'm like, there's no way I can be hungry right now. I just ate this three course meal, healthy foods. So I'm full. I'm satisfied. And then five minutes later, I get a little grumble. I'm like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. That's the craving. That's the sugar craving. Because your body is a highly adaptable thing. And it starts to be like, hey, where's those, uh, where's those cupcakes you've been having? <laughs> Where's that Krispy (laughs) Kreme, right? Where is that whatever? You know, uh, we need it. We we're were craving it. We need some of that. So then you give in. People give in, and then they just keep that cycle going. You have to be slightly uncomfortable for a little bit and Mm -hmm. get you know to get rid of those hunger pangs and to like just keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I was yeah, I was wondered too. That happens to me very frequently. So
0: craving foods.
1: Not, like if I'm in a period where I'm essentially not caring so much what I eat and, you know, say like I have goldfish one day, it's like I have that around like 12 o'clock and like tomorrow at 12 o'clock, I'm like I'm hungry. Yeah. Just ate lunch. I'm hungry. But.
0: Yeah. So it's your body expecting something to happen.
1: Good to know. So much knowledge. But it happens
0: also with exercise. And I think we, we just talked about somebody else. I, people ask me questions all day long. So I get I get lost with who asks the specific questions. But I remember the question. Mm-hmm. somebody asked me when do I like to eat around exercise am I like a person who has to like eat right after I exercise or can I wait and do whatever mm-hmm. they had said that they were starving after the exercise and they go and immediately eat food for me I'm whatever like food for me is I, I eat it because but I can literally go all day without eating and not really think twice about it now I know that's not healthy but I can do that
1: because you're busy
0: because I'm busy, but I, it doesn't really have, I don't have these like spikes or anything like that where I feel like I'm loss of energy. I've, I've done it a few times where let's say if I'm doing like a construction project at home, or I'm really doing some manual labor and different things like that where I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I work through lunch and then it's by the time I'm done with stuff, it's like five o'clock. I'm like, Oh crap. I didn't really eat anything today. Uh, so you can get through those things. Like I said, I was not recommended, but some folks, if you build in those routines or those habits that you always eat after you exercise, then after you exercise, your body's like, where's my food? Yeah. You know, I need the food. And the same thing, if you always exercise at noon or one and you don't exercise, it messes with your levels because your body's expecting some exercise and some things to happen and you may feel sluggish. So if you change up your routine, like we talked about with sleep, if, and why we and why we sleep in all the sleep research suggests that no matter what's happening in your life, you should try to go to sleep and wake up at the same time every day. No matter if you have school tomorrow, no matter it's, if it's the weekend, no matter if you're going to work, no matter if you're on vacation, no matter what, that will regulate your sleep the best. Because if you start fluctuating that, that's when you start feeling sluggish and lethargic and all that jazz.
1: Makes sense. Since you brought that up, I think Liz had asked at a certain point, is it recommended that you eat before or after a workout? Is that good that you eat that close to that time?
0: It's it's really dependent, and there's no research that suggests any is good. Now, I know we had this conversation in the 5 a.m. class. I asked a few folks if they ate, and Julie uh, was like, yeah, I have I have eggs and toast, like one egg and toast before I come here. So I was like, what time do you wake up? That <laughs> you <laughs> really, though? She's like, I literally just suck it down, and I like, have some food. A, a while ago, Jamie, I had asked Jamie because I was a, a super early morning workout person when I was in Brooklyn because I went before I had to go before they had class. Their first class was at six. So I used to work out at four 30 to six and then go home and get ready for work. And when I used to, to be a teacher full time and he used to be like, Hey, just eat like a half peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Just get something in your system that has some sugar and carbs and stuff like that. So you can mm-hmm. do something. It didn't work for me. And the, the, the memory that sticks in my head the most is we had, we were doing a 10K on Governor's Island in, in Manhattan. A 10K is like, whatever it is, six miles. It was a really fun race. But they had bananas and stuff right out. Oh, I had a banana before because I didn't really eat. And I was like, oh, I should have a banana before. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll feel good. I thought I was going to, like, <laughs> vomit banana the entire race. I was burping banana. I was so uncomfortable and it was just so gross in my mouth the whole time. Sorry if you're you know, eating a banana right now, but I like bananas. I still eat bananas, but that situation for me turned me off. Like I've never been a, I where a person where I eat before I exercise. I need to eat probably two hours for me personally, up to two hours before I do any sort of training to let things digest and go away a little bit. Otherwise it'll be, it'll just sit there for me. Afterwards, um, they, there's some research that people were trying to put out there that you need to eat. There's this window, this like metabolic window within 60 minutes of exercise. It's been debunked. Like you don't have to eat. Everything is a cumulative thing. Mm-hmm. It's what you get in the day. It's how it works. Like if you feel like you're low energy and you want to try to eat something a little bit before, then eat something a little bit before and see if it makes a difference. Back to our N of one, you are your own experiment. Everybody's a little different. Like a banana may work great for you, a banana does not work for me. Something before exercise might work for you, and then something else might not. So what I would recommend if you are going to eat something before is something that's a little bit more fast digesting. You don't want something that's heavy protein and heavy fat because those things take longer to digest in our system, so they're going to sit there when you're trying to, and if you're trying to jump rope and run around and do stuff, they're kind of like just sitting in your stomach.
1: What are some fast digesting things really quick?
0: Potatoes, starches, like banana is a fast digesting. Uh (laughs) Really? I feel like that's so heavy. No, but it's, I mean, if, if you look at the glycemic index, Mm -hmm. which the glycemic index is the things that spike your insulin the most, which is the highest blood, uh, you know, blood sugar and stuff like that. And bananas like way up there. It's similar to white bread. So it's one of those like really fast digesting carbs, like fruits, any fruit really um, would be beneficial. Some are slower than others. And again, that might be something like, Hey, maybe the, like the, the banana spiked my insulin too much and just made me feel a little off. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I had a, an apple, which is a little bit lower on that index, might have been a little bit better. You know, So you have all these different things that you can look at because all these fruits and, and vegetables and, and grains and things like that have different effects on how we digest and how fast our own indi- individual bodies work through them.
1: Interesting. Anything else from the past episode that we missed or wanted to touch on?
0: Well, Sean had texted me because I was like, I forgot what it's called. And he was talking about it's called by. Bi- by Faisal sleeping pattern, sleeping twice a day is called biphasal. because he, we, we had both read why we sleep and talked about mm-hmm. it a lot at the time. And he got, he dove a little bit deeper into the sleep stuff.
1: I've been walking around with that fact when people are like, I'm tired midday. I'm like, I know why.
0: I know why now. <laughs> Cause you have that, that midday dip. And I mean, a lot of it is, is related to like temperature and stuff like that too. And and Sean had also responded that productivity in an office in the afternoon is garbage. I wish I can get somebody <laughs> to realize that in my office. Because yeah, because we had talked about afternoon productivity, and it's—I mean, right now it's three o'clock in the afternoon, but I just worked out, so I'm—I'm I'm pretty wired right now. This <laughs> is like—that's thats my favorite time to work out because I fight through that little dip and I'm and have a lot of energy. I'm—I'm I'm ready to go for the rest of the day.
1: Makes sense. I have a
0: full coffee sitting in front of me, but I've only taken one sip.
1: Oh, you're back on the coffee grind. Only in the last afternoon. time we talked, no, 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 you were no, 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 not. No,
0: no, no. Only in the afternoon after I eat food okay so in the morning it's an energy drink it's a zero calorie energy drink because i think the sugar was the issue and then after i eat food and i do some things it, the coffee isn't so bad it's still not great but i like the taste of coffee
1: can we go off talk really quick for a second with real sugar and fake sugar and drinks sure. and your thoughts on that because i'm always like Oh, it says zero calories on their sucralose. It, the, what is the harm or anything with sucralose?
0: There, honestly, there hasn't been any real research that says that it does anything metabolically to you. And people were like, oh, it tricks your brain to think this and that and the other thing. It doesn't do that. Um, the only thing that get, gets kind of, it's still very new, and I think there isn't a lot of information on it, is like the xylitol, the sugar alcohols. They put a lot of those in gums. Oh, yes. But I'm going to be honest, like, that's when I stopped eating Quest Bars when they put that in there, because the xylitol, whatever it is, gives me an instant headache. If I put a piece of gum in my mouth and I chew like five chews of it, Mm -hmm. instant headache. Really? Yeah. So obviously there's something that's not, (laughs) not (laughs) Not great in it for me. Uh, So again, if those things, but there's really not a whole lot of negative research out there. But again, research is always behind the times and research is also always biased in a lot of ways. Um, Just like in terms of exercise science, research is super behind with what's a great way to do certain things versus surgery versus rehab versus strength and conditioning versus what we should be doing for athletes. You know, it's all super way behind and it's based off of whoever wants to do the research. So, you know, we can always use research as the end all be all, but that's why end of one, be your own experiment.
1: I just wonder because you ever like reach for something, it's like it's zero sugars and they're like. Is there sucralose in it? I'm like, I don't know. But I think sucralose bad aftertaste for me. I don't enjoy the
0: Yeah, some are better than others. Like I think I've done Stevia, which I, it hasn't doesn't have as bad of aftertaste. Some of them have like a s like you said, have, some of them have worse aftertaste than others. But there's so many of them now that it's hard to depict which one is because sometimes they'll put like five different ones in a drink or a thing to because they all have different flavor profiles. is
1: mm-hmm. one of them, right?
0: Splenda's one. My dad I dad used Splenda to do an eight sucrilos, shot. Isn't it?
1: I don't know. My dad used to do an eight-shot espresso every morning with two Splenda in it. Well,
0: that's not that bad. I thought you were going to say he had eight Splenda.
1: Nah, just an eight-shot espresso. He probably made it through the whole day just fine.
0: Yeah, they are. Oh, wait, Splenda is a, a sugar substitute. Oh. But it does say that they're they're also known for their original formulation containing sucralose. They are manufacturing items from stevia, such as stevia and monk fruit as well. So I think they were, so the original, maybe the original Splenda, maybe Splendas like branched out now. Maybe the original Splenda was like pure sucralose.
1: Oh, okay. Glad we can get off topic there for a minute.
0: Not off topic.
1: Not really. I always wondered that, so I'm glad I got it answered now. Is that it for the past episode? Everything we're about to talk about, I have no knowledge on, so I'm excited.
0: Ooh, very exciting. Very exciting.
1: So jumping right in, top of the list, A- Symmetrical balance.
0: Mm-hmm. What is it? So balance between left and right, essentially when you do training and you do different things is super important because let's say we are doing a squat and your right leg is very strong and your left leg is not so strong. When you do rep- oh, you know, repetitive movements, let's say you're doing a bunch of back squats and over and over and over and over again, you back squat, you back squat, you back squat, your right leg starts to do more work. So over time, which would be your stronger leg actually gets injured because the imbalance forces that one to work harder. And then you get injured. You're like, man, this used to be my good leg. I don't know what happened. So a way to combat that is to do some unilateral training in the mix. So we had talked about this with Jeremy Todd about, you know, being able to have symmetry, From right to left. So, if you are going to do a step up, for example, and a step up would be getting a height of something that's just above your kneecap and stepping up on it with a weight in your hand, and then do eight to 12 repetitions on your right leg, and then eight to 12 repetitions on your left leg, and build up to a a weight that's heavy and see what the difference is. Let's say if you did your right leg and you got 12, and on your left leg, you got six, your right leg is essentially 50%, or or your left leg is 50% weaker than your, your right leg. Yeah. So if you were to go for a run, your left leg would be like dragging, like peg leg dragging behind you. And then you still have the same impact and then you might have knee pain. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so then what you can do as a result of that would be go through a simple strength cycle of step-ups and then work at a like a lower percentage where you can do equal number. Like let's say if you can do, find a weight that you can do six of each and then you do six of each and then you do eight of each and then you do 10 of each and you do 12 of each and then you retest it five six weeks later and then see if your left leg is now closer now the human body is not symmetrical in general so it's never going to be perfectly balanced but we want to make it as close as possible to prevent pain injury and performance and improving performance in terms of uh, mobility and flexibility, I think that's a follow-up question that's in there. Correct? It is. Right? So a lot of times what we find, like we I did this yesterday with the 5 a.m. class before we did pressing overhead, I had everyone lay on their back. And lay on your back with your lower back, like sucked, suction cup to the floor, and lift your arm over your head, one arm at a time. And yesterday I had everyone could pretty much do their right arm, and a couple of people couldn't do their left arm. So now if you're trying to lift, so if you have there's two different types of exercises. There's something called closed chained and open chained. So a closed chain is when your hands are on a barbell or your hands are on a pull-up bar. The pull-up bar is a fixed structure. Mm-hmm. So it's closed. Yeah. So if I were to go hang from that pull-up bar, my right arm would feel comfortable. My left arm would be like, yo, what are we doing here? Right? So if I were to hang and do a lot of pull-ups and a lot of upper body stuff, that left arm would get pulled into a position that it can't get into by itself. And what, if I were to crank on you and put you in a position where you wouldn't, like I was going to put you in a pretzel or something, like mm-hmm. what do you think would happen if I did it like every day? get better. No. No? No.
1: You want to get more flexible from it?
0: No, you're going to get beat up.
1: Well, I'd imagine that, but, but with time?
0: It, but so if I'm just hanging, mm-hmm. yes, maybe. Okay. It'll get better. That would be a way to fix it. But if I'm trying to do pull-ups, I'm trying to do dynamic movements mm-hmm. and I'm trying to throw a barbell over my head and doing all this stuff with weight Okay. and I'm putting it in a position where it's not comfortable to be in, then no, it's going to actually injure it. That makes more sense. So then what the protocol is, is to regain the flexibility first and then build mobility and then build stability or strength. What I just said a lot of words. What do they mean? So flexibility is a passive range of motion. So if you were to lay on your back and I were to lift your, if your legs are straight and I were to lift your leg as high as I can, you didn't do any work. It's passive. Right. Yeah. So that would be your hamstring, your passive hamstring flexibility. Now, if I were to then have you, sit, then I were to say, which is called our active straight leg raise. I'd be like, Hey Tori, With your leg locked, lift your right leg as high as you can. And it goes half the distance that I was able to push it with my hand. So your active range of motion, your mobility is half of what your passive flexibility is. Okay. Yes. So then the distance between the two is uncontrollable for you. So you don't have strength there. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So if you were to do an exercise in a position where you don't have strength in or you don't have control over, that's when you have injury. Okay. So now I'm getting into a position where my body doesn't know what to do. So it leaves me open and susceptible to injury. And that's what happens in shoulder stuff. That's what happens in certain hip mobilities and ranges. So you see people who are like hyper flexible passively, but they can't control those ranges of motion. They can't own that position. So then... In some regard, life will put you in those positions, like if you fall. Yeah. Or if you're doing like a heavy weight on something and you try to catch it and you try to do something, it'll pull you in that position. And then because you have no control in that position, you get get hurt.
1: The people who are hyper-flexible, do they see injury more common than others or no?
0: So there's two ends of the spectrum. So people who are hyper-flexible and people who are not flexible at all. Both Mm -hmm. of those see more levels of injury than someone who's just in the middle. Because a lot of times people who are hyper-flexible, gymnast, dancers, they have poor stability and strength and control so they can get into those positions passively. But when you do it under weight and load, they can't control it. And on the other side of the coin, the people who are super-flexible try to force the issue and they can't get into the position. So they end up forcing the issue and getting hurt that way. Both ends of the spectrum are never good, right? So you always want to be somewhere in the middle. So now we built, which so then the protocol to go back to it would be build flexibility. So increase your range of motion. If you already have it, skip it, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: build mobility, right. Then being able to control that range of motion and then build strength in the new range of motion. This is like the sticky part that makes it work. So if I just work on flexibility, let's say if I, if I work on just the flexibility of my hamstrings, so I could touch my toes right now, but if I don't do anything to make it stick, Tomorrow I won't be able to touch my toes again. Mm. So people do that a lot. They just stretch and then they go back tomorrow and they just keep stretching. They, they foam roll, they stretch. They foam roll, they stretch. They foam roll, they stretch. They foam roll, they, they stretch. But then they never build strength through the length. Mm-hmm. Right? So they never build strength through the range of motion. So then that range of motion never gets solidified or sticky, a stickiness factor. So the like I said, the protocol is build flexibility, build active range of motion through you know, certain basic level exercises and then build strength in those positions. So if we are working on the overhead position, we might do something like hang, just hang to build flexibility in the area. So now I can get my arm in a safe position, maybe overhead. I'm just hanging there passively. Right. And then to build stability, like some range of motion in that position, I might do like what's called a floor slide. And maybe we'll link some of these videos in there. A floor slide may lay on your floor on your back and then slide your hands up as if you're doing a press behind your head. But there's no weight or anything like that. I'm just learning how to... My body's learning how to do it. And then to build stability and strength in that position, I might do an overhead carry. So now I have some weight to it, and my body has to learn how to control this new range of motion that I just unlocked. So I was here. You, can, you can't you can see me in the video, but Tori is seeing it. So I, I have my arm kind of out in front of my head. Now, I through all the flexibility and other stuff, now I can get my arm back towards my ear. But now if I were to go and do some like crazy clean and jerks from here to here is new. Yeah. My brain is like, yo, I don't know what to do from here to here. So if I get a heavy weight here, like there's a good chance that my shoulder's going to get jacked up. So I need to go and like practice being in that new position with like overhead carry to build the strength in this new position before I go and challenge it with some dynamic movements
1: when you do start doing those new positions those new movements how frequently should you be doing them
0: until they get better
1: can, can it be an everyday thing or would that i don't know yeah. if it would too you much you could build
0: you could build flexibility like flexibility and mobility isn't for right now it's for 6 months from now mm. so the more you can do it the the better you're going to be especially if you if you have limitations if you don't have any limitations um, like we, like there's a couple people that come to mind in my head that are hyper mobile in the gym and they still come in and stretch every day. They don't need to stretch. Stretching is the la- like it may feel better, mm-hmm. but it does nothing for them. And if anything, it makes their, it exacerbates their situation because they're already hyper mobile yeah. and they're just making themselves more flexible. They don't need more flexibility. They need to more stability, more strength in those positions. So stretching isn't going to help. Stretching is going to make it worse
1: stretching was another topic so for the people who aren't in that situation how important is it for them
0: or if you can't get into a position you can't train in that position yeah so if you don't have like the overhead flexibility to get your hands over your head safely then you can't do a press Mm -hmm. safely if you can't if you can't if you don't have proper ankle mobility and flexibility if you don't have good hips uh, then you can't squat safely if you can't touch your toes and you don't have good hamstring flexibility, then you can't deadlift safely. So how important is it? I mean, if you want to not be in pain and you want to exercise and, and build strength and stability and, and have fun and do some of the sexier movements, mm-hmm. you better be working on your flexibility.
1: So like before class, people should come in
0: and stretch or is our we have a warm but, up, but not
1: everybody, not everybody but the i mean at least here the majority is not 50 50
0: you'd be surprised and the only way to really know is to get an assessment done yeah so then the coach or you know somebody can go through if you if you're not from our area then somebody can go through who knows like some of the basic movements and FMS is a as a pretty common assessment called the functional movement screen um that's that will take you through a series of exercises that will reveal some limitations that you might have and then from there you can have what they used to call corrective exercises they don't really call them corrective exercise because it's got a bad rap now but a corrective exercise to correct any imbalances or dysfunction you might have in those movement patterns
1: we're moving along nicely because my next thing was personal training which falls in with assessments so that versus a general group programming and the benefits for it yeah
0: so we recently, within the last two months, have gone, we, we've gone into many different ebbs and flows in the gym throughout the years. And I think this might be our last hurrah, and we might stick to this for a while. Every new person who comes into the gym right now has to do personal training. And on their first session, they get a formal movement assessment. They also get a, a body composition assessment through the in-body. So the in-body gives us some basic data, a starting point. And then the movement assessment also gives us a starting point on how to program their next six, eight, 8, 12, 24 sessions. So if I if I have somebody who comes in and on their first day in their assessment they can't do they can't they fail the overhead mobility assessment, they fail the the hamstring assessment, and they fail let's say a core stability assessment, which is just a plank. Then they're not going to be able to do push-ups. They're not going to be able to deadlift. They're not going to be able to do anything overhead. So, what I have to do then is give them a customized program, which is personal training, that will allow them to get into those positions before I can safely allow them into a group setting where class where the program is for a general, like a middle of the road general fitness enthusiast. So, a, gr- a general group program is never going to be tailored specifically for you. In the class, the coaches some coaches are better than others at this also, depending on where you go to modify slightly what the movements might be in there. But what would be even better is if you had your own assessment and you knew what your modifications were. So if you were to come in and do a formal assessment with me and we would go through everything and I'd be like, Hey, Tori, uh, from now on when deadlifts are programmed, do this for six weeks. And from now on, when pull-ups are programmed, use a dumbbell, or or when when, uh, barbell presses are programmed, do a dumbbell for now because we don't have the mobility on your left arm. So if I do a dumbbell, it'll allow me to, it's open chain, so it allows me more freedom versus the closed chain of the barbell. And then here's some homework to improve those every day, and you also need some core stability stuff. So every night, work on uh, building up to a two-minute forearm plank. And then you have that homework, you have those ideas and you can, in your own class, be educated enough to adjust your workout accordingly so that you don't run into issues and be like, well, everyone's deadlifting. I just want to deadlift today. but uh, And then you end up deadlifting, but you're not supposed to and you get hurt.
1: No good. No good.
0: <laughs> so, and that's what happens to a lot of folks who just jump into a, a CrossFit style gym and they do certain things and they, you know, we've been at fault. Also, and I apologize to anybody who's jumped in or done stuff and who hasn't been had an assessment yet. Um, but things, like I said, things go in ebbs and flows, and we want to make sure that we're in a good position now to make sure that people do come into class and they get these formal assessments, and they are able to do stuff in a safe manner. And if you're in, a, if you're a group instructor, like it's really easy. Like in a class, like I said, I did it before we did any pressing in our warm up the other day. I was like, hey, everyone, lay on the ground, reach your right hand overhead. Scan the room. Everyone looks good. Reach your left hand overhead. Oh, John, Jane, Joe, left hand's no good. Let's do a couple of extra sets of this, and then maybe we'll work on dumbbells today. Hey, let's see everyone touch your toes. Okay, one, two, three. You guys can't touch your toes. I did this in my actually did this in my phys ed class the other day. I was like, all right, can let's go wider stance. Can you guys do a straddle? Let me see you touch the floor. Oh, you can touch the floor in a straddle. Mm-hmm. Let's sumo deadlift today instead of regular deadlift.
1: Quick cues.
0: Quick, easy adjustments. Mm-hmm. Right? Because a sumo deadlift is a shorter range of motion. will allow you to get to a position. If you can touch the floor with your legs locked in a sumo stance, then you're safe to, t- to pick up the bar off the floor. Mm-hmm. But you can't do it with your legs together. Then you're not safe to pick it up from a regular deadlift position. So a really easy way to do that in a group setting too. If you wanted to. You should. You should. You should. Definitely saying should. saying you should does what, Tori? You were what? When I said should. When I say you should do this, we talked about the other day.
1: Was this one where you said makes a fool out of eye? And you and no, I, what's no.
0: Like when people say you should eat healthier, you uh, should exercise yes. more. Yes, okay. They're doing what? No, I remember. you remember what I said? No, I just remember the conversation. Oh, so when somebody tells you that you should do something, they are imparting their wishes on you. Like if uh, I told yeah. Tori, like, yo, you should exercise more and you should eat better. Mm-hmm. Like that's me telling her what I think I should do. Right? It's not really like Tori should do whatever she wants to do. Like Tori could do whatever she wants to do. She doesn't need me to say you should do something because that's me imparting my beliefs on her. Yes. Right. And she doesn't need to hear my beliefs. She needs to figure out her own beliefs and figure out how she's going to do that.
1: I mean, it's nice to hear, but nobody's going to want, nobody's going to do anything until they want to do it.
0: Exactly. So me saying you should go exercise more Mm -hmm. doesn't do a whole lot of good other than make you like resent me.
1: No, I just run and then.
0: Like run away. That's what she She (laughs) runs away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But like we were talking earlier, when you're a trainer, you're essentially somebody's life's in your hands. So, yes. Got to make it worthwhile, <laughs> especially if there's a barbell over their head. Their life's definitely in your hands.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, Mike Boyle, who was one of my mentors for a long time, and they talk about in their, they have what is the doctor's thing when they, their doctor, when the doctor's oath, what is it called? Do you know, like mm. the oath that doctors take? Uh-huh. No. Look it up Hippocratic Oath? Let's see. She just to look it up. The, I think it's called the Hippocratic Oath. Let's see. Let's see what the old Google says. Is it? Yeah, Hippocratic Oath. What's the first thing in a Hippocratic Oath? A so, lot. Oh, written. What's the first? oath?
1: treat the sick to the best of one's ability.
0: Oh, no, that's not it. You must have the wrong one. This yeah, one looks pro- like it's in hieroglyphics. Oh, it could be the right one. But either way, <laughs> and they have like their own kind of Hippocratic Oath for their trainers. And the first thing is do no harm. Okay. So do no harm. The idea is, and this is where I, where I really, I've been, I've been harping on on my social media for athletes is if you get injured, you can't play. If you're in pain, you're uncomfortable, you're whatever, you can't play. Mm -hmm. If you tear your ACL, you're out for a year. If you do any of these things, you can't play, which means you can't get better. So my, my mission For all of my, uh, you know, my college, high school athletes that I work with is for them not to get hurt. And I do everything in my power to make sure that doesn't happen. Can I completely eliminate the risk of getting injured? No. But with smart training and good coaching, I can seriously reduce the risk. And that can happen in any setting.
1: Do you feel like with those college and high school level athletes we talked about it last time, people hiding dysfunction, do you feel like it's most common with them because they just want to play?
0: Well, they, they don't tell you. But also the Shantae, the movement maestro, told me a long time ago that the best athletes are the best compensators. So the best athletes find ways to compensate and cheat movements better than other than not good athletes, essentially. Yeah. So when you slow them down you know, like we were talking about moving fast to hide dysfunction mm-hmm. when you, sl- that's why a lot of times, like we slow them down. I remember seeing, speaking of Mike Boyle, he was working with one of the famous us gymnasts. She's a little older and she was still in the gymnastics team. I can't think what her name is.
1: Sean Johnson. No, I don't
0: know. I don't know, but I don't know her name, but they were doing, listen to this. She is a gold medal gymnast. They were doing squat press outs with a mini band to tempo to mm-hmm. a 12 inch box. And you're like, she's a high-level gymnast. Like, why would she be doing that? Yeah. Why would she be doing that? What did we talk about before? What did we just talk about people who are gymnasts and dancers? They're hypermobile and I they know. lack strength and stability. Yeah. And because they go, they're flying through the air at like hyper mode. Mm-hmm. They're super fast and they're hiding all of those things. Yeah. So how, we would have to train the opposite. So we train them in the opposite sounds... way because that bucket is already full. So if I had like five buckets here. One would be flexibility. One is mobility. One is strength. One is dynamics. Yeah, you know? and a gymnast, their flexibility is full. Their dynamic stuff is very full. So I need to fill the buckets that aren't full as the trainer. Yeah. So if like it's like like I have a bunch of soccer girls that come in, who work with me, and one of them was like, hey, I played two games. I played 180 minutes yesterday. Do I need to run that person? that running bucket is pretty darn full. Yeah. Right. So if I have them come in and do like a ton of extra running and changing direction and all this kind of stuff, is that going to be beneficial or am I going to overfill that bucket? Overfill. And overfilling your bucket gets you injured mm-hmm. because your load has exceeded your capacity. Yeah. Right. So if I put too much coffee in my cup, the coffee's going to spill out and I'm going to get burnt. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have to make sure that we're filling the buckets that are appropriate. So we want to find the things that they aren't doing and train those. So if you're a dancer and you're hypermobile, you don't need to stretch anymore. You've already stretched enough for your whole life. Yep. Right. If you're a meathead and you've just bench pressed your whole life, and you never stretched, you probably need to stretch more. <laughs> right? So that's where those things kind of balance out when we're looking at those different things and how they fit in and the buckets and the stress and these different things and how they relate to being healthy for a long time.
1: I'm learning so much. Like, I'm kind of, like,
0: she's ready to be amazed,
1: a like enamored. What's the word here? Yeah,
0: she's ready to be a trainer right now. Oh, Lord. We always joke that Tori's going to jump in and coach a class.
1: I think it would be one of the funnest class not to, you know.
0: So this is one thing that I, I always see on Instagram, and I don't know, maybe you can tell me, because I'm listening to this podcast that I posted to everybody about the the – the problem with fat loss or weight loss. I think so. the problem with weight loss. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like, there's a couple of local people who I follow. They were like students of mine or different things that I see on Instagram. And they're, they're females and they suck in their stomach when they yeah, post. You without, see the ribs come yeah, out on the side. Well, I don't understand the purpose of it because it doesn't, that's not what your abs look like.
1: I just had this conversation the other day with somebody who said they have like the little two pack right here. And they're like you know I think that's also my ribs and I use the exact example I went on Instagram I found somebody I'm like no your ribs if you were to suck in your ribs come out right here
0: yeah but like sucking in isn't your abs like I don't understand no. why that's the but again I don't know why that's the attractive thing because I'm not in that circle and if you haven't listened to if you know we'll try to put that in here too I'm like promoting another podcast <laughs> is the John Berardi um, podcast where there's a three-part series and they talk about the problem with weight loss. I posted it to all of our, my, so my newsletter group. I posted it to the gym's newsletter. I posted it to our Facebook. And in there they go through the history and why we think that leanness is associated with you know, godliness, education, success, all these different things and how these things are ingrained in us from a young age From simple things like they talked about children's stories, children's movies, children's books. Think about the quote-unquote fat or big-bodied characters in TV shows, like Cartman or uh, Patrick from SpongeBob. These are the examples they made. Oh, yeah. I just didn't know the the first one You don't know who Cartman is from South Park? He's the fat one.
1: Aren't they, not to be rude but aren't they all fat in South Park? No, they're like squares, but he's actually, he's like really fat. Oh, okay.
0: Like Patrick from SpongeBob is kind of like bigger right? And they're all like doofy or dumb mm. or, you know, they they play these roles of being this type of person that isn't an accepted person. They're either bullies, they're mean, angry people, or they're goofy people. They're not necessarily, they're not like quote unquote normal. They're always something. Mm-hmm. And they talk about why we think this way and why this has been ingrained in our heads for a long time. This That podcast does a way better job because it's it's highly produced. They have researchers and there's multiple people on there that talk about it it's very very it was mind blowing for me in a lot of ways because some of this stuff dates back to early european times where like the thinkers of the time were literally creating like hey we don't want to be associated with slavery so we want to differentiate ourselves so we're going to be leaner and now being lean has this association of being a certain way versus like the slaves are heavier. And it was just like really wild stuff of like the history and all the stuff between that. And then we still see some of these body dysmorphia type things on social media every day Mm -hmm. while it's changing a little bit. I still think because there's so much in your face pictures on social media, it's harder now to navigate and feel comfortable in your own skin because of all the things that you get inundated with every day.
1: Absolutely. I hear about it all the time. I mean, I think some of us all go through it at different points or continuously, but I hear about it from other people all the time too. And then when you're hearing about it from other people, then you obviously get thinking about it yourself. For sure. And I'm going to listen to that podcast though.
0: It's great. It's three parts. It's probably one of the, what I listen to, I have a, I'm have. a part of a different newsletter for gym owners and, and different people, and he had recommended it. He was a gym owner, a big gym owner in New York City. He re- In his newsletter, he recommended it like five times, like in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. He's like, just make sure that you listen to this. If you help anybody in any regard in terms of trying to lose weight or in the fitness industry, you need to listen to this and change how you look at weight loss. And then yesterday, which got a lot of love on our Facebook post, was the post about, you know, like thinking of ways to move your body. Mm-hmm. And letting the weight and stuff take it like if you can do a pull up, if you can do an unassisted pull- up right now, like how much better would you feel versus losing five pounds?
1: Yes, I liked that I liked that post yeah,
0: so if, like, I got the reason why what sparked it and is the the last three days I've been getting texts and conversations about like five to eight pounds mm-hmm. like it just keeps coming up, it just keeps yeah. coming up and I was like, well, five to eight pounds isn't like a lot. Like you just had Easter, you had a lot of salty food, you might have some water retention, and then by Thursday it might be gone. Mm-hmm. So five pounds can fluctuate a lot. It can be very easy. But let's say, and I had this conversation this morning again, but let's say if my goal was to run the Boilermaker and I was so focused on losing weight that you know I didn't really focus on my training as much, but if I focused on my training, And I went from being able to only run a 3K to now being able, or a 5K to being able to run a 15K. Mm -hmm. Would the weight kind of take care of itself? You'd think so. You'd think so because the (laughs) things you need to do in order to run a 15K would all be in alignment with what you also need to do to be able to lose five pounds or 10 pounds. So they're in alignment. Mm -hmm. And James Clear talks about this as well like having process oriented goals that would also have multiple results. So instead of having a goal of losing 10 pounds, have your goal to be eat vegetables at every meal. If you ate vegetables at every meal, would those five pounds eventually take care of themselves? So if your goal is to, you know, let's say the pull-ups, if my goal is to go to the gym every day for the next year, would I be closer to being able to do those pull-ups and probably lose those 10 pounds Mm -hmm. and probably have better confidence and have all these other great side effects? But if I just look at these, like, weirdly weird, like, number things that... What happens when you get to the 10 pounds? Does your life magically... Like, the the heavens open up and your your life gets better? No. No, you're like, oh, I lost 10 pounds. I thought I'd feel better.
1: The number is just a societal thing. It's really, like, look in the mirror and ask yourself how you feel that way, though. And, I mean, obviously, physically, how you're carrying yourself every day. How does that feel? But that would be... I mean, I'm 20. I've probably... Tw- in in the matter of every single year I've been alive and old enough to know what a scale is, I probably stepped on it like two times a year, if that, because it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I think you're, you're, it doesn't matter. And you're tiny too. So that doesn't help. But yeah. And like
1: I said, like still you're around all those things about body dysmorphia and things. And then you start looking and okay, I have this bone structure and somebody else doesn't. But right. to me, it's just the mirror.
0: So this was a text, series of texts that I got from a member at the gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, Within one week, I went from blank boy, I went from like one, I'm just going to use fake numbers, like 150 to 159. Mm -hmm. And I feel gross and huge. I'm never eating candy again. I'm never eating (laughs) such and such food again. Yeah. Right. I said, do you feel gross because of the weight or do you feel gross because you feel gross? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Right. Feeling gross because I feel like a meat stick, (laughs) a heavier meat stick. So the answer is because of the weight. I said, if you didn't know that you weighed nine pounds more, would you still feel gross? So if you never stepped on the scale. exactly, Would you know that you weighed nine pounds more?
1: It becomes a mental game because you have something to associate it with.
0: And she said, and they, she, is a she, sorry, I already blew it. Uh, <laughs> yes, because I can see it and I'm notably wider and bloated. And the number just made it, verified it and made it worse. Mm-hmm. So the the number didn't make it worse. Yeah, of course. Right. So. Like I said, are you feeling gross because you stepped on the scale Mm -hmm. or are you feeling gross because you actually feel gross? Because if I step on a scale right now and I'm like, damn, like I'm 10 pounds more than I was last week. Mm -hmm. Maybe I do feel kind of bad. I didn't notice it before, but now that I'm like 10 pounds heavier, (laughs) I might feel a little different. But if I never stepped on the scale, I might just be like, yeah, whatever.
1: I feel great. Yeah, you know, I had a friend that was like that and I said, I challenge you for two weeks. Don't go on the damn scale. Don't go on it. Don't look at it because I feel like it's just it, like you said, it adds to it. It's not what was there in the first place. Yeah, It just gets very unhealthy.
0: Yeah, I would agree that like stepping on the scale on a frequent, frequent basis is kind of can be very detrimental.
1: We've been talking for a long time. I didn't realize
0: it was an hour. already. <laughs> Holy moly. I'm, 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 wired. I told you I'm ready to go. I know. Almost an hour. I'm cranking it out right now. We have anything else?
1: That was all on my list. Oh, perfect. So we can end. Perfect timing.
0: Yeah. So that was a little bit longer. I had just got done exercising. So I am cranked up. I didn't even drink any coffee. I had one sip before we turned the, the mic on and we're ready to go. Hopefully that was some beneficial information for you. I know we talked a lot about some different things and, There are things that I am super, I guess, also super passionate about, which is why I'm wired and amped up about it. Because I do want people to come into the gym for a purpose. And I think I posted this to my story the other day, the actual quote that I I don't know if I got it from somewhere or I kind of made it up as a compilation of other people's quotes. But you should have a purpose and it should make you feel good and it should have purpose. And I think I put like, like going for a hike, Mm. pain-free, without hesitation. Like if I have to go to a hike, And think about like not being able to make it to the top or make going on the way down and my knees hurting the whole time. That's not a really fun experience. No. Like if I want to go to Billy B's with my kids and I can't crawl through the tunnels because I'm too big or I don't have the mobility and and strength to be able to do that. That's not a fun experience. Not a fun for me. And it's not fun for my kids. No. So your exercise should support the life that you want to live in the best way possible like drop that's it (laughs) you guys have a great and wonderful day hopefully you learned something and tune in next time and we'll keep giving you info to help you find your heart love you peace